Jamila and I live overseas full time, um, and that's just something I could never have thought about. And so, one of the many ways that Grace has uh, been a part of my life is through challenging me to follow uh, in the footsteps of Jesus. And how it's possible that we're even in Greece is because of the support of our church. Um, you know, we raise our own salary, and it's because of Grace and the people in the church who came around us and said, "We, as a church, we want to send you." Um, as individuals and as as the church. I called a friend um, to ask, you know, him to consider partnering with us, and he was like, you know, um, no matter where I am financially, I always have this list of people. That if they call, then I will make, I will fix things, I will work it out, and I will give to them. He did that for us. He's like, I'll, you know, not watch Netflix this year and just give to you guys. And it's like, oh my gosh, that's so convicting and so encouraging, and all these things. When you go through things like that and you're receiving it, you realize you want to be that person for other people. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to just take that blessing from the Lord and hoard it for yourself. You know, you want to to pass that on. Grace has been uh, such a vital role in multiplication and mobilization in College Station, and so we're excited to see that um, happen. Uh, in Brian, we're, we're excited to see that happen. Uh, overseas, um, we're excited to see that happen in other areas um, of Texas or even the United States. Uh, we we cannot wait to see what the Lord is going to do through Grace Bible Church um, on a grander on a grander scale. Lord God, we lift up Kyle and Jamila to you and the ongoing ministry in Greece. We pray that you would use them and their teammates to reach many Greek students with the good news of Jesus Christ. We pray that many in Greece would come to find and follow Jesus and that you would plant vital churches that are growing and loving that nation. We thank you so much for the opportunities that you've given us as a church to send out people all over the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. We pray that you would continue to use grace to plant churches all over the world. We thank you so much for this morning. We pray that you would open our eyes to see how worthy you are and that you would help us to learn to love the things that you love. Thank you, Jesus. You are good. And for it's for your name that we pray. Amen. Well, it's great to have you all with us this morning. You can turn to Luke chapter 12 if you'd like. That's where we'll be in a little bit. Parents visiting us today with your students, we're grateful to have you during this family weekend. We are continuing our Every Knee series that we started last week. In case you missed it, everything is actually online. If you go to everyknee.org, the sermon from last week, the testimony videos, uh, all the resources, including this booklet, we have extra up here and at the information desk. If you didn't get one last week, we'd love for you to get one of these uh, to walk you through the Every Knee series. And if you are just visiting us, if you're just here with, with your college students, you can take one too. You'll find out a lot about the history and the values and the strategy of Grace Bible Church. So you'll know the church that your kids are going to. So we'd love to have you jump in with us. Uh, just to recap for you, we're in this five-week Every Knee series, and it's all about generosity. It's about learning to give all that we have and all that we are to Jesus, because ultimately he's worthy of that. We're talking about about giving our, our time and our resources and our money to Jesus so that more people can come to find and follow him. And as we talk about generosity, the reason that we're talking about it now at, at this 
stage of life for our church is that we believe that God is calling us as a church to take a courageous step forward. We believe that God is calling us to to build a building for our Creekside campus. South of town, they're meeting in an elementary school, but they have grown beyond what it can fit, and they won't let us meet there forever, so we have to build them a building. But we believe that God is telling us that campus number three is not the end, that actually we're supposed to to build another campus. We're already supposed to be ready to plant campus number four. So we believe we're called to do that. But we also believe that God is challenging us to look beyond just the Brazos Valley and multiply to replicate what we have in other university cities around the world. And so in particular, we believe God is calling us to work with others to plant a university family church in the United States and one internationally. And so as the elders and pastors have gathered and looked at that vision and added it all up, the cost to to build Creekside, plant campus for, launch two new university family church plants, and fund just our normal operating budget over the course of the next two years, all of that together is $32 million that we need to raise over the next two years to complete all that God is calling us to do. But as I talked about last week, we believe that God leads us largely through you. God speaks the leadership of the church partly through the people of the church. And so we want to hear from you. And that's why last week we gave you a commitment card that that you'll turn in on May 6th, where you write down what you, what your family is committing to give towards this Every Knee initiative over the next two years. And and the reason that you're turning that in is to, to speak to us so we can hear from God. It's not a pledge card. We will never knock on your door. We will never call you and tell you to pay up. It is not a, a contract. If your job changes, if your health changes, you're not held to this card. I will never see that card. The elders will never see your card. Only our finance department will, and only for the reason of adding them all up. They'll add up your commitment, my commitment, all of our commitment. Give that number to the elders and pastors so we know, is this the direction God is calling us to? So we want to hear from you so that that we can see what exactly God is leading our church to do next. We believe that it's big. We believe he's blessed us so that we can be a blessing to the world. So in preparation for turning in that commitment card, we're talking about generosity for five Weeks. You'll turn in that card on May 6th, Sunday, May 6th, or if you want to do it early, we'd love to invite you to our advanced commitment night on April 27th at 6.30 p.m. at the Ice House in Bryan, all three campuses. We're all going to join together for a night of worship and celebration to, to turn in our commitment to the Lord and just take time to dedicate all that we are and all that we have to Him. We'd love to have you join us. If you go to that website, everyknee.org, you can RSVP. You can also sign up for free childcare that evening if that makes it easier for you. So this week, we're going to continue what we were doing last week. We're going to talk about this question. Why should we become generous and joyful givers? And in that question, we're asking about more than just money. With with your time, with your energy, with your resources, with your relationships... Why should you become a generous and joyful giver to Jesus and the things that Jesus loves? And last week we talked about a lot of wrong answers. Okay, so just just to review. Don't give generously and joyfully to God because you think God needs your money. 
No, he doesn't. He needs nothing from you. Don't give generously to God because you think he will reward you with money in this life. No, there's no promise of that. Don't give generously to God because you think he will like you more or be more likely to let you into heaven. That is not how heaven works. The love of God is an absolutely free gift. It's God giving to you, not you giving to God. Jesus earned forgiveness and eternal life for you on the cross. When he died for your sins and rose from the dead, he paid the full price of eternal life for you. And he offers it to you as an absolutely free gift. So please don't ever put money in the plate because you think that makes you God love you more. It's not how it works. God's love is free. So... What are the right answers to the question? Well, there's five of them, which is why we're doing this for five Sundays. Five legitimate reasons why we should become generous and joyful givers. We saw the first and most important last week. We give generously to God because giving is worship and God is worthy of our worship. We talked about how when we give generously of our time and resources to Jesus and the things Jesus loves, what that does is it declares to the world that Jesus is wonderful, that he is worthy of their attention. And so our giving worships Jesus and draws people to him. That's the most important reason that we give. Today we're getting the second reason why we should become generous and joyful givers. And that's because when we are generous and joyful givers, that's how we invest our lives in eternity. Now this idea of of investing in eternity, it really appeals to me. I like the word investment. I always have. I remember as a kid, my dad gave me this book called The Richest Man in Babylon. It's like a, a parable kind of book about, it was written a long time ago, back in the 1920s, about how to invest your money wisely. How to save your money and invest it so you have lots of money in the future. And it totally appealed to me. I love the idea of compounding interest because I was pretty much like born an engineer. And so I was totally in to that idea of, of growth. And so I remember as a young kid sitting down with a calculator and doing the math to figure out how much I had to save each year to have a million dollars by the time I turned 35. That was my, my goal after reading this book. And what I realized is what it really comes down to is the concept of delayed gratification. I I just have to deny myself some, some possession or pleasure I could have right now and take that money and invest it. And the result will be, I will have more money in the future. All comes down to delayed gratification. However, you have to make sure that when you invest your money, you are investing it in the right things because some investments are better than others. And so I want to take you back to the 1990s, and perhaps the most ridiculous investment fad of all time, Beanie Babies. Don't know how many of you remember this, but there was a time when Beanie Babies were hotter than Bitcoin. They were incredibly popular. So Beanie Babies were designed by this guy named Ty Warner who was great at designing toys. They were plush and really, really neat little toys. But he was even better at controlling supply and demand. That, that was what he was truly gifted at. And he came up with this novel concept. I'm going to design a toy that can be changed and made into pretty much an infinite variety of options. And so what he would do is design a particular option of the toy and bring it out, produce it, and make sure that the supply was always smaller than the demand. 
So they would always sell out quickly and some people would be left wanting one, not able to get one. And then he'd move on to the next design and he would never reproduce that first one or that one he had just made. And the result was when people, when people failed to get the one that they wanted, when they missed out, they were willing to pay more than the purchase price to get it on the secondhand market. And so all of a sudden, the price of these things skyrocketed and speculators jumped in and began buying them up and trying to sell them for a profit. And it got to be such a big deal that, no kidding, somebody wrote a book on how to invest in Beanie Babies. And here is one of the actual pages of this investment book. It's about Stripes the Tiger, birthday June 11, 1995, which is just weird to put it that way. Total born 50000 So the issue price, this is what it cost you on the shelf when you first bought it, $5. That was in 1995. Three years later, by 1998, that tiger was trading on the used market for $250 if you had left the tag on. That's an incredible profit, like 270% annual growth rate. That's amazing. And so it had grown so much that they speculated it would be worth $1,000 in 2008. Well, people got excited about that. One family in particular, the Robinson family in Los Angeles, got so excited about that that they spent $100,000 buying 20,000 Beanie Babies with the goal of, of buying them at $5 a piece, selling them at the height of the market, and putting their five sons through college. There was just one problem with that plan. The market crashed. Overnight, Beanie Babies went from incredibly expensive to basically worthless. Today, you can buy them for a quarter, and and you have them. And the saddest part of this story that I read is that today, the Robinsons have 20,000 Beanie Babies in boxes in their garage, rather than money towards college. That is so sad. It's tragic to invest in Beanie Babies. Why? Because they have no lasting value. It was a bubble that burst like every other bubble. Well, that is sadly very reminiscent of one of Jesus' most famous parables. So look at Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Jesus is going to talk to us about a foolish man. Let's pick it up in verse 16. And he, that is Jesus, told them, that is the disciples, a parable saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Well, so far, this sounds like a pretty good plan. We have a, a wise farmer. Really, he's a wise businessman. He, he has been so productive with his fields that he has not only saved up everything that he needs, he's got a surplus. And so he's filled his barns. Now, what am I going to do with this surplus? He decides to knock him down, build bigger barns, keep it all for himself so that he can live a life of ease in the future. Sounds good. There's just one thing he forgot. Look at the next verse. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. In the end, this seemingly wise businessman was a fool. Because all of the things he had saved up in this life didn't go with him. 
That's the ultimate problem with all earthly investments. They don't go with you when you die. You can't take any of them with you. That's why you'll never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. Nothing you have in this life goes with you into the next life, no matter how good of an investor you are. So let's be really clear. The Robinson family, back in 1996, they bought $100,000 worth of Beanie Babies. Bad idea. But what if they were really good investors and they put that $100,000 in Apple stock in 1996? Today, they would have $16 million. It's incredible, right? But guess what? They still don't get to take any of that with them when they die. None of that $16 million makes it past this life because nothing of this earth does. And that's why this farmer, this businessman was so foolish. He had focused his whole life on accumulating earthly wealth and none of that goes with you when you die. Now let's be really clear. We have to clarify here. It's so important. Jesus is not telling us that it is sinful to accumulate wealth or save for the future. Notice, Jesus did not rebuke the guy for being a good businessman and making a profit. Nor did he rebuke the guy for filling his current barns with stuff for the future. No, he rebuked the guy because after he had saved enough to meet his own needs, he hoarded the rest. He never thought about sharing or giving to others or to God, and that was foolish to focus only on the needs of this Life. God wants you to save wisely for the future. It's important to recognize God wants you to save for retirement. He wants you to save for your kids' college education. He wants you to save for future medical expenses. All of that is wise and good. And actually, all of it is commanded. In the book of Proverbs and in 1 Timothy chapter 5, God commands us to be wise with our money and provide for ourselves and our family in the future. So, All of that is good. Where it becomes bad is when you only focus on accumulating wealth for yourself in this life. That is when it becomes sinful. It's all about focus. If you only invest in the things of this world, you're a fool because they won't last. No matter how much you accumulate, you'll die and you'll leave them all behind. They will have no eternal impact at all. And so, yes, you should save for your own future, but you should also give. And so that leads people to ask, all right, Blake, how much should I save versus how much should I give? Everyone wants to know that. Give me the number. What's the percentage that's okay to save for retirement and college versus how much I should give? And so people look to the Old Testament and they say, well, it's a tithe. It's 10%. No, it's not. The tithe is left in the Old Testament. It is not repeated in the New. The New Testament stubbornly resists giving you a percentage. The New Testament tells you instead, you should give whatever it takes to be joyful and generous towards others. For some of you, it might be less than 10%. For some of you, it will be much more than 10%. So how do you know how much to save versus how much to give? I can't give you a number. I can give you an attitude. And so... When you are wondering how much do I save versus how much do I give, you turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, Paul says, Command those who are rich in this present world, pause, because most of us just decided this doesn't apply to me. Right? Because in English, the word rich has a certain connotation, the upper 1%. All right, well, we've got to clarify what rich meant in the ancient world. This was written in the first century. What did it mean to be rich in the first century? 
it meant you ever asked the question, how much do I save? If you ask the question about savings, you're rich by the Bible's definition. Because rich in the Bible means you have more money than you need today to buy the food, clothing, and shelter your family needs today to stay alive. So if you ever have more money than you need today to take care of your family, you are, by the definition of the Bible, rich. I'm guessing that's most of you. Okay, so you just got to own it. You are rich. This verse is for you. Okay, so command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So how much do you save versus how much do you give? Paul does not give you a percentage. Instead, he tells you about your heart. What matters is that you are not finding your hope or your security in your earthly wealth. That's when you put too much for yourself in the bank. When that's the place that you you have your hope. Your your hope for the future is about your retirement. It's about the home you will buy. It's about the vacations you will have. If that's your hope, then you got too much in your savings. Or if that's your security, if what makes you feel safe and secure in life is your nest egg, then that's not okay. Why? Well, because money can never buy security. I hope we all are aware of that. No matter how much money you save, a determined enough hacker can take it or the economy can tank, or some medical crisis can come up in your life that wipes everything out. There is no security in earthly money. doesn't matter how much you save. And not only is there no security, but there's no satisfaction. Look back at Luke chapter 12, the verse right before the parable. Look at verse 15. Then Jesus said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. What Jesus is saying is even if you have all the money in the world, you will still not have life in that. You will not find satisfaction in that. You will not find joy in that. You will not find peace in that. That will not give you what you're looking for. And so very practically speaking, when I think about how much to save versus how much to give, there is no percentage. We want percentages because we want everything to be black and white. That's not how it works. It's a hard issue. When I'm thinking about that question for myself, what I'm asking is, am I giving enough to Jesus and what Jesus loves so that my hope and security are in Jesus? Or am I saving so much and putting so much away for myself and my kids that that's where my hope is? That's where my security is. If that's the case, I'm saving too much. Does that make sense? It's about the heart. It's about what you care about. Your heart will follow your money. And so, yes, save for the future, but make your primary investment strategy about the next life about giving to Jesus and what Jesus loves so that your heart will go there, so that you will turn to Jesus and what Jesus loves to find your hope and your security because ultimately that is the only place to find true hope and security. Okay, so when it comes to how much to save versus how much to give, prioritize giving. And as you give, the reason you prioritize giving, couple reasons. First of all, because as you prioritize giving to Jesus and what Jesus loves, 
you are making an eternal impact. What do I mean by an eternal impact? Well, let's think for a second about everything that we have. So your house, uh, your car, your electronics, your clothes, all of your possessions, all of your money in the bank. You do realize none of that's going to make it off this rock. None of that's going with you. It will all decay. It will all wear out. And eventually this planet will come to an end and all your stuff will too. So if none of that stuff makes it into the next life, what does? Well, for that, you turn to the book of Revelation. Here's the verse, Revelation chapter 5. Worthy are you, Jesus. This is about Jesus. Worthy are you, Jesus, to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. So look to your left real quick. Look to your left. Now look to your right real quick. Everything that you just saw, what of it makes it into the next life? Only people. Only us. The people you saw are the only things in this room and ultimately the only things on this planet that make it to the next life. People are the only eternal things on earth. Everything else passes away. And so if you want to make an impact that lasts for eternity, you must invest in people. That is the only choice. Anything else you invest in will fade away. Only the the investment you make in people, helping people to find and follow Jesus, that's the only thing that will matter in eternity. That's actually the point of a very odd verse that Jesus gives us in the book of Luke. Chapter 16, Jesus says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. That sounds strange. Worldly wealth, that's about your money. Okay, the money that you have now, use it to make friends. That's just a Jesus's way of talking about helping people to find and follow Jesus. Use your money on things like missions and evangelism, and charity, and church planting to help more and more people in this world find and follow Jesus. The result will be when you get to heaven and you see those people who came to find and follow Jesus through your money, they will welcome you. That's the idea. You will have made an impact on some person that lasts for eternity. For all time, they will look at you and say, thank you for what you sacrificed so that I could come to know Jesus as my Savior. Now, let's be really clear. God is sovereign. Your money is not required to save anybody. person who's going to be saved, God will save them with or without you. The key is whether or not you get the privilege of being the person whom God uses to draw that person into the family. You get to have that privilege. You get to be the one who God uses to introduce that person to Christ if you give. If you give to Jesus and the things that Jesus loves. Here's a a convenient way to to think about it. Some of you are getting ready to graduate from Texas A&M. Congratulations. That's awesome. Um, Let me warn you, something's going to happen the day after you graduate. You are going to walk to your mailbox and you are going to open it up And you are going to receive the first of an infinite number of fundraising letters from your alma mater. It's going to come. 
The university is going to send it to you. Your particular college, like I was engineering, they're going to send it to you. The athletic department, I guarantee you, will send it to you. They will all send you these letters seeking funds. And you'll open up the letter. And what word will be in all bold, all cap at the top of every page? Legacy. Because that's what Texas A&M is about. Legacy. Give your money to, to build a building or endow a scholarship. And it will live past you. You will have done something that outlives you. And that's great. If you want to give to a and I'm, I'm, that's great. That's a good thing. But let's just be realistic about this Aggie legacy we're leaving 200 years from now. That building you helped build will have been knocked down to build something taller. And that scholarship you will be endowing will have worn out either by economic crash or inflation, whatever it is. An Aggie legacy is not forever. But a Jesus legacy is. The money that you give, the time that you give, the energy that you give to help people find and follow Jesus will still be going strong a billion years from now because those people will still be going strong a billion years from now. Investing your life in people, helping them to find and follow Jesus is the only way to make an eternal legacy with your life. That's what truly lasts. That led Paul to this beautiful verse. I love this verse in 1 Thessalonians 2. Paul says, For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. You see, Paul had helped many people in Thessalonica, in Thessalonica come to Jesus. God used Paul to lead them to Christ. And so Paul is looking forward to Jesus coming back because when Jesus comes back, these people who Paul invested in, they will be his crown. They will be his joy. They will be what he rejoices in forever. And as I thought about this, I was like, what is that like? And I remembered being a, when I was a kid and I loved to build Legos. That was just kind of my thing. So I would build Legos and I remember the joy every time I had built something new and a parent came home. My dad came home from work. My mom came home from the store and I heard the door open and I was thrilled to show them what I had made, what I had done. And I thought about that. and I thought, that's Paul. Paul is thrilled about the idea of Jesus coming home and Paul taking to Jesus and showing him, look what I did. With all the stuff that you gave me, I didn't use it to build fancy houses and all of this stuff. Instead, I used it to win more people to you. I, I used it to introduce these people to you, Jesus, and I want to I show them to you now. I want to introduce you to these people. That's the thrill, the excitement you will have when you see Jesus. If you have invested this life into people, into helping them find and follow Jesus, that is how you build an eternal legacy that will last forever. So why should we give to Jesus and the things that Jesus loves? Because that makes an impact that lasts for eternity. So we we give to make this eternal impact. Second reason that we give sacrificially to to Jesus and the things that, that Jesus loves. Because that's how we earn an eternal reward. It's really important to include the word eternal before the word reward. Because there are a lot of of false preachers out there who teach something called the prosperity gospel. The idea is when you give your money to God, he will turn around and give you more money back now. 
That is, I give sacrificially to God, and God will open heaven and pour more money and more blessing on my life right now. There's this video clip I show this theology class that I teach here at the church every year. It's of a famous prosperity preacher telling this large audience to bring their cash to the stage and lay their their bills out on the steps, which would eventually, of course, end up in his pocket, but lay it all out. And when you lay it all out, you should shout to God, money come to me now. And so for the whole service, money come to me now. Why are they shouting that? Because they believe that when you put your money down, God is promising to give you more money now. That's a lie. But as with almost all lies, there's a seed of truth in it. There's a kernel of truth. Everything you sacrifice in this life to God, God will reward, but not in this life. That's where they're wrong. It's not in this life. How do I know that? Because look at his most faithful followers. Paul, James, Peter. They didn't get money. They got imprisonment, beaten, and killed for following Jesus. There is no promise of earthly reward. It's reward in the next life. But the key is to notice God wants you to seek eternal reward. And how do I know that? Well, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Again, Jesus is is warning us. Do not make your focus storing up earthly treasures because they will not last. Again, he's not saying don't save for the future or for college. He's just saying don't let that be the focus or ambition of your life to store up earthly treasures because they will eventually fade away. You don't get to keep them. Instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, everyone wants to know, what are these treasures in heaven that, that you earn by giving to God? Well, notice it's not heaven. It's treasures in heaven. Heaven, you don't earn. Jesus earned heaven for you, right? Heaven is an absolutely free gift. You get by trusting in Jesus, by just saying, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead to give me heaven as a free gift. You don't earn it. But once you are in heaven, there is reward to be had, to be rewarded with. And and the point of what Jesus is telling us there, this is so important for us as believers to recognize, God wants more for us than just getting us to heaven. I mean, don't get me wrong, heaven's great. Awesome. But God wants more for you than just getting you to heaven, which is a free gift. Now that you've received that free gift, he wants you to live a life of faithfulness and sacrifice so that beyond just getting into heaven, you can earn reward from Jesus. Now, what exactly are those rewards? We do not know. In some passages, they're described as crowns of honor and glory that we wear. In other passages, they're described as new opportunities to rule and reign with Jesus in his coming kingdom. We don't know exactly what that looks like or how that works. We do know that it's really great. Whatever these rewards are, they're incredible because Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4.17, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. And let's think for a moment. What did Paul mean by momentary light affliction? He meant seizure of all of one's property. He meant arrest. He meant getting beaten and stoned and eventually beheaded. All of that, it's, it's momentary, it's light, it's nothing. 
compared to the glory that's being stored up for us in the future. This glorious reward that Jesus has for us, for anyone who is sacrificed for him in this life, it makes all the sacrifices of this life pale by comparison. And that truth is what led famous missionary Jim Elliott to pen these words six months before he died. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. That's right. That's wise investing. You are giving up the things you know you can't keep. Now, he did die six months later. He didn't know that was going to happen. He probably thought, like you do, he's going to live another 40 years, another 60 years. And yet giving up what you could have for 40 or 60 years in this life is worth it because then you gain something you will for sure enjoy for all eternity. That's wisdom, sacrificing what we have now for what we can gain later. That's the ultimate delayed gratification, sacrifice in this life for the next life. Now, this teaching makes some people feel uncomfortable because it sounds kind of mercenary to them. I thought we were supposed to dedicate our lives to the glory of God and the good of other people and not think about ourselves, not think about earning reward in heaven or accumulating treasure in heaven. Well, no, that's not true. That's not right. Jesus said very specifically, store up treasure for yourself. He wants you to do that. The key is to store it up in the right place, in the next life, not this life. Sometimes people have this sense that we're supposed to only care about God and other people and to care about ourselves is selfishness. That's actually not correct. Selfishness means you seek your gain at the expense of someone else. Well, that's what's going to happen if you're seeking your gain in this life. To get more and more in this life, you're going to end up stepping on someone else. That's selfishness. But if you are seeking your gain in the next life, guess what? That's not at someone else's expense. That's actually for someone else's benefit. Because if you're seeking your gain in the next life, what are you doing? I've already said it. You are helping people find and follow Jesus. And guess what? That is what's best for everyone else. So here's the remarkable thing. I love this truth. There is never going to be a day where God makes you choose between what is best for you and what is best for others. No, they are exactly the same. So long as you are thinking about it through the grid of the next life. If you are thinking about what is best for me in eternity, what is best for everyone else in eternity, what is best for God in eternity, the answer is the same. Now, what God wants you to choose between is not what's best for you versus what's best for others. He wants you to choose between what is easy and what is hard. Because the easy choice is to, to grab all the gratification you can right now. That's easy. He wants you to sacrifice that gratification you could have now and make the hard choice which is the sacrifice for the good of others and the good of yourself in eternity. Jesus wants you to amass treasure for yourself in heaven. He wants you to seek eternal rewards. The key is to focus on the next life and not this one. That's just good investing. You are sacrificing what you could enjoy for a few brief years here on earth so that you can enjoy more with more people for all eternity. So give up what you can have now. Because you can have more later, and so can other people. That's the principle we, we find in this pass, in the, throughout all of these passages. And, and in this passage, in Philippians chapter 4, such a great verse. Paul says, love this, Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. This is funny, because it's Paul talking about money. Money that was given to him. 
So he's talking to these Philippian believers who supported his church planning ministry financially. They had done it for years at great sacrifice. So they they were sacrificing. They they, They were giving up things that they could have to give money to Paul and Paul's church planning ministry. Clearly, that's best for Paul, right? It's best for Paul. That's best for the growth of the kingdom of God. And that was best for them. It was best for them. Paul actually wants them to seek gain in the next life. That's the key. Got to have the right time horizon. What you give to God and to the things God loves in this life will be rewarded in the next life. And that reality led David Livingstone, great missionary pioneer from England to Africa, to speak these words towards the very end of his life. Here's what he said. People talk of the sacrifice I've made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Say rather it is a privilege Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger, now and then with a foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life, may make us pause and and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. But let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall be revealed in and for us. I have never made a sacrifice. Okay, well, from a human perspective, yes, you have. You gave up your treasure. He was rich. You gave up your home. You gave up your comfort to take the gospel to Africa. That sounds like a huge sacrifice. And he's saying, no, it's not. I'm just a really good investor. Because I'm taking the things I could enjoy for a few decades here on this rock, and I am sending them forward into the next life. I'm investing them in eternity. And that's the beautiful truth. Okay, there is bad news with money. You don't get to take any of it with you, but there is good news. You can send it all ahead. You are sending your wealth ahead when you invest it in the things that God loves. When you invest it in missions and evangelism and church planting and charity so that people find and follow Jesus, then you are sending that money ahead of you. You are investing it to make an eternal impact on people and to earn an eternal reward for yourself. So be wise. A wise investor of the life and the time and the money God has given you. It's a gift. You can invest it. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help each and every one of us to keep our eyes and our hearts on eternity. It is so easy to get distracted by the things of this world, to get consumed in the pursuit of earthly treasure and wealth and and possessions and fame. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would help us to see beyond what this world offers and to think about what we will have with you in eternity. I pray, Heavenly Father, that for each and every one of us, that we would become passionate about leaving behind an eternal legacy that lasts literally forever. I pray that for each and every one of us that we would give our time, our energy, our money, our resources to help more and more people find and follow Jesus so that we can enjoy worshiping and living with those people forever. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would motivate us with this idea of of eternal rewards, whatever they are, this glory and this honor that we can receive from Jesus. I pray that that would be so compelling to us that whatever we give up in this life will pale by comparison. It'll be nothing by comparison. I pray, Heavenly Father, that like David Livingston or, or Jim Elliott, we could say of our lives, we have truly never made a sacrifice. Instead, we have simply sent our money ahead of us. We have invested it in that which counts the most, in people whom you have made in your image and for whom your son died. 
We pray, Lord God, help us to live for eternity. Thank you for all you've done for us. You are so good. It is in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.